We are on chapter 30 in the Confession. <clears throat> We're going to do paragraphs 1 and 2 this week, and we're on these chapters dealing with the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we finished uh, last week on baptism, and then this week we'll begin the one on the Lord's Supper, and it's uh, quite a bit longer than the one on baptism. So we'll take uh, several weeks to go through that. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, begin our Bible study. Father, we thank you for our time to meet together this afternoon, and Lord, we do thank you for baptism and the Lord's Supper, which you have given, Lord, to your church, uh, to be a reminder and a symbol to us, Lord, of the death and resurrection of Christ and the forgiveness of sins, Lord, the blessings that we have through him. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, these symbols uh, correctly, Lord, that we would practice them uh, in accordance to how you have instituted them and that, Lord, that they might be a blessing to us, Lord, for many generations, uh, Lord, throughout the course of our time here on this earth, that they would, Lord, continue to benefit us and be of great value to us because of the faith that we have, Lord, in what they represent. So, Lord, help us today as we study concerning the Lord's Supper, and, Lord, give us your mind and conform our practices to your word, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so the Lord's Supper, and again, a reminder that these ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are for us visible, physical pictures of spiritual realities uh, that Christ has given to us, right? And again, in these things, the spiritual is always the greater portion, uh, that we have to understand what they represent and have true faith and belief in those spiritual realities, but this does not mean that the symbol is itself insignificant, uh, that uh, it is possible for someone to practice the ritual without faith, and then that is of no value to them. But it is impossible for someone to be a righteous man and not practice these things the right way. Right? This is a part of our righteousness, uh, taking the Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, so yes, they can be done wrongly, uh, but they can't be neglected. To neglect those things is to uh, not follow Christ and not be obedient to him. So we have to practice these things, but we have to practice them the right way. The way that they're instituted in the Bible and with true faith and true reality in the spiritual portion, okay? And that's how it is with both baptism and the Lord's Supper. In the terms of baptism, we need to be baptized into Jesus Christ, right? Into his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And then we need to be baptized visibly and physically immersed uh, in water. And then the same with the Lord's Supper. We need by faith to partake of right, the body and the blood of Christ, his person and his work in order to have the forgiveness of sins. But then we also need to participate in the Lord's Supper when we do it at church. And then we need to do it in the right way. And both of these are necessary components for us to live faithfully before the Lord. Okay, so chapter 30 Paragraph 1, the definition of the Lord's Supper. The, Lord, the Supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night he was betrayed. It is to be observed in his churches to the end of the age as a perpetual remembrance and display of the sacrifice of himself in his death. It is given for the confirmation of the faith of believers in all the benefits of Christ's death, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, 
and their further engagement in and to all the duties they owe him. The supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion with Christ and each other. So there, the supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night he was betrayed. This is when the Lord's Supper was instituted for the church to be an ordinance or to be a symbol that the church practices from that time until the end of the age, until the return of Christ. As long as we are meeting together, we need to be participating in the Lord's Supper. And it is Jesus Christ who instituted it. He instituted it, and it was born out of the Passover meal. He was eating the Passover with his disciples, and then from that, he instituted the Lord's Supper as a memorial or as a symbol for us to be a reminder of his work, his death, and resurrection. It says, it is to be observed in his churches to the end of the age, right? So the churches are to observe the Lord's Supper, and to neglect to observe it is to sin against Christ. So we are commanded by Jesus to partake of the Lord's Supper, meaning we have to do it the right way, and we have to understand its significance in what these things represent or what they symbolize, okay, until the end of the age. Right, until the end of the age, because we do not see Jesus as yet face to face. So in this life, we need reminders, right? We have to, by faith, see Christ, see his death and resurrection. We weren't there. We didn't see it with our eyes, right? And even the disciples who did see those things, they needed a reminder of it throughout the time of their sojourning. And this is how it is for us. And in this life, these things are given to the church to be a perpetual remembrance and display of the sacrifice of himself in his death. So it is a reminder or a display, a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, right? And these things are taught to us through the Lord's Supper. We are to see and understand that the cup, right, the wine represents the blood of Christ, The bread represents the body of Christ. That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That our sins were placed in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. That he died physically and he was raised physically. His body was put to death. His body was raised from the dead. So it is through his death and resurrection, that we have the forgiveness of sins. And it is in our participation in these things, truly in Christ, that we have this benefit. Okay, so we have to understand what these represent and what they mean. Okay, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. This is one of the central passages, if not the most important passage, on the interpretation of the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians eleven twenty-three says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there in verse 23, I, and the I here is the apostle. So the apostle Paul received from the Lord that which I, the apostle Paul, also delivered to you, to the church. So the apostle received this from the Lord, and then he conferred it to the church. He taught the church what it meant and how it is that they are supposed to do this. So you see the succession of authority. It comes from Jesus Christ through the Holy Apostle and is delivered to the church. So this is not opinion. This is not a preference. This is not some idea that the Apostle got out of his own mind, but he received it from the Lord and then he delivered it to the church and gave it to them. And this was the night in which he was betrayed. So the night he was betrayed, this is what Jesus did with his disciples. First, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he took the bread. He blessed the bread. Meaning he set it apart from common use to uncommon use, right? That now, not that he did it in any superstitious way, but he's simply showing that this bread that they were eating that was common is going to be used for a holy purpose, right? For a holy reason in order to teach and to instruct them in the things of God. So he took the bread, he gave thanks for it, then he broke it, right? So he took it, he gave the thanks, then he broke it, and then he defined it for them. He gave it its meaning, its content. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he says, this is my body, he doesn't mean literally my body. right? He can't mean it literally because he's sitting there with with them. His literal body were the hands that handed it to them. So in what way is it his body? Symbolically, in a symbolic way, This represents my body. I want you to see that this bread represents or symbolizes my body and what it will do for you spiritually, right? What it will do for you spiritually. And he said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. It is my body, which is for you, for your benefit, right? The death and resurrection of Christ was for our benefit, right? It was for our benefit, not his benefit, but for ours. We're the ones that had sin. We're the ones that needed the forgiveness of sins. So it's given for us, for our benefit. And then we do this in remembrance of Christ. We take the Lord's Supper. We set aside the bread in this way. We bless it. We break it. We partake of it in remembrance of Christ as a reminder of what he has done for us. Okay? In the same way, it says, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here in the same way, he took the cup. I think by saying it in this way, in the same way, that means he also gave thanks over the cup. He gave thanks over the cup. Then he gave it to them to drink. And then told them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now he's defining or interpreting what it means. It is the new covenant, the covenant of redemption in my blood. What is the basis 
of our covenant with God, of the forgiveness of sins, of us being children of God. On what basis does it happen? On the basis of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His blood shed for us, right, as the sacrifice for our sins. This cup, this wine, represents the new covenant in my blood, okay? And as often as you drink it, in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is the purpose. We are proclaiming the Lord's death through the bread and through the cup, as often as we eat and drink them. Now, meaning if we're proclaiming it, then we have to understand it. There has to be the teaching of the Bible in conjunction with the participation in the Lord's Supper. Without the teaching, then we don't understand what it means. And we're not proclaiming it. We're just going through some ritual. The ritual needs the teaching so that it has the content. There is the proclamation of these truths and of these realities. And we proclaim it until he comes. The Lord's death until he comes. From uh, the night it was instituted until the return of Christ. This is how often we are to participate and keep the Lord's Supper. In every generation, the churches, the true churches, need to be doing, need to be doing this. Okay, next. It says, It is given for the confirmation of the faith of believers and all the benefits of Christ's death, their spiritual nourishment and growth in Him, and their further engagement in all of the duties they owe Him. So here, it's given for confirmation of the faith of the believers, right? This is like the same as when Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made, it was given by God for our sake, for our benefit, right? This is why it was given. In the same way, the Lord's Supper was made for man, not man for the Lord's Supper, is for our benefit. It's not for God's benefit. It's not for Christ's benefit. They already have perfect wisdom and understanding. It is for our benefit, for our faith, to be a confirmation of those things, knowing our weaknesses, knowing that we learn by object lessons. Isn't this the way that we instruct children many times? We teach them by way of object lessons. We instruct them in these kinds of ways. Well, as long as we are in this life, according to 1 Corinthians 13, we are like children. Right Then we will be like adults, we will be mature when we see Christ face to face, but now we are like children. We reason like children, we talk like children, we think like children in terms of our spiritual development, because we're not perfect yet. Our maturity, our full maturity, our full adulthood will come when we are made like Christ, and that won't happen until we see Him face to face. Well, until that time, until faith become sight, we need helps to be a benefit to our faith, to help us in our weaknesses. And that's why we have the Lord's Supper and baptism. These are object lessons or visible symbols that communicate for us spiritual truths. Okay, and that's why they are a benefit to us. They're a confirmation to us of our faith in Christ and the benefits of his death. Their spiritual nourishment and growth in him. Right? Don't we have to have uh, food and drink in order to have life physically? If we don't eat, we'll die, and if we don't drink, we'll die? Right? This is the way it is, and we all know and understand that. 
Well, isn't it true then, spiritually, we have to have food and drink? And what is the food that we eat that gives us nourishment of soul? What is the drink that we drink that gives us nourishment of soul? Well, according to John chapter 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is what Jesus says. Again, not literally. Of course, we don't promote that literally, but spiritually, symbolically. We eat his flesh. We drink his blood. We do it by faith. When we believe in him, we are spiritually partaking of Christ, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, in that we are participating in the death and resurrection of Christ. And then those things give nourishment to our souls. They give us life. And that's what this is confirming to us. When we eat, when we drink, we are reminded that our spiritual life is dependent upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it is only through him that we can have life. And also a reminder a further engagement in and to all the duties they owe to him. That we are one with Christ. That we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we should honor God with our bodies. And that we owe to Christ everything. He's given his life for us. Now our life belongs to him. And we are obligated to walk in righteousness. And to obey him and to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ. So it is a reminder that we belong to Christ. He is in us, right? And we are in him. And therefore, he is the master. He is the Lord. We are the slaves or we are the servants. And we have to obey his will. Lastly, it says, the supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion with Christ and each other. Right? Because don't we all partake of the same bread? Don't we all partake of the same cup? Well, this is the way it should be. And when we do that, it is a reminder that you're not saved one way and I'm saved another. You're not saved through one sacrifice and me another. We're all saved in the same way. We all are participating in Christ, and this is the basis for our salvation. So we have communion with Christ, and if we are communing with Christ, we also have communion one with another. So now it reminds us also of our obligation to each other, to the body of Christ, that we are united together with Christ. And we are to commune with one another, right, in this way. All partaking of the same bread and all partaking of the same cup. 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10. Verse 14 says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices shared in the altar? What do I mean then, that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become shares in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he are we. Here, 
the point of the passage is to tell the church to flee from idolatry, that they should have no participation in idolatry. And then the principle, the truth that he brings forward as the basis for this is the Lord's Supper, right? The Lord's Supper. Don't we all know and understand this instinctively, right? We know this from the Bible. We know that this is true, that there's only one bread and that when we all partake of the bread, we're partaking of Christ, right? When it is that the cup is blessed, we are sharing in the blood of Christ, when these rituals are taking place, right, we are participating in the blood of Christ, in the body of Christ, and with one another. So that there is a union or there is a participation in these things whenever we partake of them together. There's one bread. We who many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. Then he goes back to Israel. This has always been the case, right, with these rituals. Israel... Right, those who ate the sacrifices shared in the altar. There was a communion or a participation in the altar when they ate the sacrifices. And then the point is, don't eat and don't participate with idolatry. Right, because if you do, you are sharing the cup of demons. How can you eat and drink the bread and the cup to the Lord and also eat and drink meat or bread or cups to demons. You can't do those things. This because there's a real participation whenever we partake of these things, right? That's the point that he's making here. And this is what it means for the sake of the confession, that we are truly participating in the blood and in the body of Christ when we by faith behold these things in the Lord's Supper. And if we are participating with Christ, then we should not participate with idolatry, with demons or anything that is false. Okay, a couple of other passages. The, these are the passages from the New Test, from the Gospels, where the Lord's Supper was instituted. First is Matthew 26. The point being, I want to make sure that when we're doing these things, we're doing it in the proper way, right? The way that Christ did it. So for one, we read earlier, he took the bread, he blessed it, then he broke it, and then he gave it to them. So for, I think then the best way for us to distribute the bread would be for the bread to be whole, for us to bless the bread, for us to break the bread, the bread and then for us to distribute the bread. Though up to this point, typically we break the bread before anyone gets here, right? We do that uh, in the kitchen at 9 o'clock over coffee, and then it's already broken. But here, in order for the symbol to be properly administered the way that Christ did it, well, he took the bread as a whole, he blessed it, he broke it, then he distributed it. And that is the better way, because you see the symbol of one body, right? It's one body that is then broken and given to many people. And we all are participating in the one body of Christ. So Matthew 26, verse 26. says, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. So there, that's the same thing we read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He took some bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples. Everyone sees that, right? Right there, the sequence of events. And then he said, take, eat, 
This is my body. And then when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. So then he took the cup, he gave thanks for the cup, and then he gave it to them as well. Okay, Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, verse 22. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. So there, same thing. Took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. Then 23. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So there he took a cup, which notice that first. He didn't take many cups, but how many cups? A cup, which is a singular cup. He gave thanks over the cup. Then he gave it, the cup, to them, and they all drank from it, from the cup, right? So not multiple cups, but here, one common cup, right? One common cup, which is how many uh, churches or traditions uh, have practiced the Lord's Supper over the years, right? With a common cup. The uh, practice of having couplets, you know, like the little couplets we have, the little shot glasses, uh, that are thrown away is a fairly recent uh, invention in terms of the practicing of the Lord's Supper. And even if, not that we would promote Catholicism in any way, but if you have ever been to a Roman Catholic Mass, they still use, they use a common cup and then many other uh, traditions as well. Though their understanding of it is corrupt, at least the way that they're practicing it goes back and it's established on an ancient tradition that was also a part of the early church. Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 14. Luke 22:14 says, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you that I shall never eat it uh, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of one who is betraying me is, uh, is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. 
And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. So there you have, these are the three accounts um, from the Gospels where Jesus did this with his disciples. And we know that that was the night in which he was betrayed, right? So the last thing, that's why it's called the Last Supper, the last uh, thing, one of the last things he did with his disciples before his betrayal and his death was the institution of the Lord's Supper. And this was born out of him sharing the Passover meal with them, right, with them there. Okay, paragraph two. And also then the sequence was taking the bread, blessing the bread, breaking the bread, distributing the bread, taking a cup, blessing the cup, uh, and then uh, distributing the cup to, to the disciples. Okay, chapter 30, paragraph two. It says, in this ordinance, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor is any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin of the living or the dead. It is only a memorial of the one offering Christ made of himself on the cross once for all. It is also a spiritual offering of the highest possible praise to God for that sacrifice. Thus, the Roman Catholic sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is utterly detestable and detracts from Christ's own sacrifice, which is the only propitiation for all the sins of the elect. People, they don't talk like this anymore. We need to talk like this all the time, right? And what they say about the Roman Catholic Mass. So-called is what they say, the so-called Mass, as they call it. Okay, so in this ordinance, in the Lord's Supper, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor is any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sins of the living or the dead. Right? The point they're making here is, in the Roman Catholic tradition, they teach the perpetual sacrifice of Christ, that it is necessary for Christ to be continually offered as a sacrifice over and over and over and over again for the sins of the people. And when the Roman Catholic Mass takes place, this is what is happening. Jesus Christ is being offered up again for the remission of sins, right? For the forgiveness of sins. Not a memorial of what he has done and what he has accomplished, but he is being offered again repeatedly over and over on the cross. This is why if you ever have been into a Catholic church or if you, uh, well, if you go to a uh, trinket store like uh, Mardell's or any of the Christian bookstores where they peddle in Christian goods and you see a, a cross, a Roman Catholic cross, what is always on the cross? Christ, right? Christ is always on the cross, the crown of thorns, and he's in his suffering. And this is, this is not accidental. It is intentional, because in their iconography, right, in the images that they're promoting, they are promoting the perpetual sacrifice of Christ, that Jesus continually suffers for the sins of his people. Not as we believe that he suffered once. And what he suffered the one time is enough to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future, but they reject this, they deny this, Therefore, Christ is repeatedly offered as a sacrifice during the Roman Catholic Mass for the forgiveness of sins. He's being sacrificed again and again and again, repeatedly, as long as people are committing sins against God. That's what they're mitigating against by saying he is not being offered up to his father again. He was offered up when he was on the earth, 
but when he was offered up, it was sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins, for of all of our sins, of all the sins of all the elect of all ages. All of it was paid by Christ on the cross, and there is no longer any need for any additional sacrifice. Christ does not need to be sacrificed again. He's already been sacrificed once. Nor is there the need to add anything, any human merit or any other merit, to what Christ has already done. It is completed. It is perfect. Didn't our Lord Jesus Christ say that it was accomplished on the cross? That's what he proclaimed. But they deny this. They deny this to their own destruction. So he is not in any way being re-sacrificed again for the living or the dead. But it is a memorial of the one offering Christ made of himself on the Christ on the cross once for all. It is a memorial, a reminder, right? A symbol of what he has already done that he no longer needs to do again. That it is in Christ, in his person, in his work, that we have the forgiveness of sins. And that's who we need to look to. We don't need anything else other than what Christ has already accomplished. So it is a memorial or a reminder of what Christ has done, not of what he continues to do for us in order to give us the forgiveness of sins. Right? Not that we don't trust in his intercessions for us, his mediation for us, but in terms of his work, his life, his death, his resurrection, nothing needs to be added to that. But that's what they're teaching. This is what the Roman Catholics teach. Hebrews chapter 9. They don't believe this passage, and that's very problematic. Romans 9, 24. Romans 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest enters the holy place year by year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. This is what they deny. He's saying there that Christ did not enter into the earthly temple, and if he had, then he would have to offer sacrifices over and over like the high priest, because the earthly temple and what took place there could never take away the sins of the worshipers. It was impossible for it to do so, and it was never intended to do so. What were the sacrifices in the Old Testament that took place at the temple under the Aaronic priesthood? What was their purpose? To point the people to Christ, to his one sacrifice that would take away their sins. And this was obvious because they offered sacrifices repeatedly in the temple, year after year after year after year, And that was made clear to them that these sacrifices could never take away their sins because there is the need to continually offer these sacrifices until the coming of the sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice that can take away our sins. There again in verse 26. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. Right? What happened at the foundation of the world in Genesis chapter 3? 
Sin. Sin entered into the world, and man was cursed with sin. And if anyone is going to be saved from Genesis 3 to the end of the world, it takes the forgiveness of sins, which necessitates a sacrifice for sins. That's why he would have had to been offered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So man is appointed to die and then judgment. So Christ also was appointed to die how many times? One time, right? One time, and now he will appear a second time, but not to die for sins. He'll appear a second time to judge the world in righteousness. He doesn't need to die for sins anymore because the sacrifice necessary to take away sin has already been made, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, next it says, It is also a spiritual offering of the highest possible praise to God for that sacrifice. Let's go to Matthew 26. We've already read uh, these passages, but we'll go back to Matthew 26, 26 to 27. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and says, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So they are a spiritual offering of the highest possible praise to God for that sacrifice. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are praising God for the sacrifice of his son, for giving Jesus once for all to take away our sins. And also that we're, we don't need anything else. Christ is sufficient. Christ and Christ alone, he is the only one that we need to take away our sins. We don't trust in any of our works. We don't trust in any other man. We don't trust in any ritual to help us in doing those things. We trust only in Christ alone to take away our sins. And we praise God for those things. Okay, then lastly, thus, because of these things, the Roman Catholic sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is utterly detestable and detracts from Christ's own sacrifice which is the only propitiation for all the sins of the elect. The Roman Catholic sacrifice of the Mass is a corruption, it is a pollution of the Lord's Supper. It is idolatry, is what it is, because it tells people not to trust in Christ. It tells people that his death is not sufficient to take away their sins. And any person that tells someone that the death of Christ, the person and work of Christ, is not sufficient to take away their sins, is a detestable person. And that's why they say it is utterly detestable, because it detracts from Christ, 
right? In proclaiming Christ, what are they doing? They're taking away Christ, right? They're detracting from Christ. They're making his death and resurrection insufficient for the forgiveness of sins because something more is needed. The Roman Catholic Mass is needed in order to uh, give us the grace that we need to overcome sin, as if Christ himself is not sufficient. So it's teaching people to trust in something other than Christ. And whenever something is put forward that detracts from Jesus Christ and his sacrifice as the only propitiation for the sins of the elect, whatever detracts from Christ and his sacrifice is detestable in the sight of God. And it also should be detestable in who else's eyes? In our eyes, right? That's what we have to say. It is detestable. And we don't want anything to do with that. That's what we read earlier from 1 Corinthians. Can we participate with demons and with God? Can we share in the cup of demons and the table of the Lord? No. So we cannot go to a Roman Catholic church and take Mass with them. Because that Mass was not founded by God. It was founded by demons. It comes from the devil. And if we participate in that, then we are sharing with a demon. And we cannot share with a demon and with the Lord. Are we going to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? No. This would be like the people in Elijah's day going and offering sacrifices at the temple and then going to the, to the altar of Baal. And Elijah says, how long are you going to go on limping between two opinions? Why, why are you going to do this? So we also cannot hold hands, call Catholics brothers, say that they're good Christians, say that they mean well, that they just have a different way of worshiping God, but we're all going to make it to heaven? No, this isn't the case at all. It is the difference between demonic-inspired worship, worship of the devil, and worship of God. And that's why we can't have anything to do with it. Now, I say that because today, in our own present day, and it shouldn't be surprising, seeing that we live in such a worthless society, and relativism and pluralism are everywhere that, that you look today, which is that it doesn't matter what you believe. Let's all just get along and love each other and we'll all hold hands and skip together on our way to heaven. But actually, when we do that, where are we on our way skipping to? All the way to hell is where we're going. We can't do that, right? We can't do that. And we cannot, for the sake of false peace, false love, false harmony, false unity, deny the truth and say that it's okay to worship God in these ways. We can't do that. And if someone we know is Roman Catholic, then we need to tell them that they need to repent. Turn away from idols and worship and serve the true and living God. You cannot be a Roman Catholic and worship the way that they worship and be a true child of God. It's impossible because there are so many corruptions and so many pollutions within that church. So we have to reject it and warn people to flee it if we know any who are in that tradition. Because... And again, the Roman Catholic Mass, we're not talking about uh, a sidebar, right? Something that they rarely or hardly ever do. This is the centerpiece of everything that they do, right? The centerpiece of their worship is the Roman Catholic Mass. Also, you'll see this. You can pay, pay attention to the furniture and the arrangement of a Roman Catholic church. Because if you've ever been in one, what is front and center in a Roman Catholic church? It's the, the Lord's table, where they do communion, or where they take the Eucharist. That is what is front and center. And where is the pulpit at in a Roman Catholic church? 
It's always to the side. It's over on the side, and that's where they give the homily, but front and center is the table where the Eucharist is practiced. And this is intentional because what is at the center, what is the key to everything, is the Roman Catholic Mass, and the preaching of the Bible is secondary, right? And that's why it's over to the side. And when the Protestant churches came along, guess what they did? What did they put front and center? They put the pulpit front and center, and then under the pulpit, they put the Lord's table, where they would take the Lord's Supper, showing that the preaching of the Word of God must be primary, and then when we take the Lord's Supper, it must be rightly defined. If we don't have faith in what these things symbolize, then they are of no value to us, which the Roman Catholics don't believe either. It doesn't matter if you have faith. All that matters is that you show up and you take the Mass. As long as you are taking the bread and the wine, you are given grace and you're going to make it to heaven one day. But does the Bible teach that? Does the Bible support that type of mentality? No, and this is why you can have a president like we have right now. I would say sleepy Joe Biden, but uh, I don't think he's even sleepy anymore. Dead-eyed Joe Biden, right? Him, he's a Roman Catholic, but he also believes in aborting, murdering babies, doing all sorts of other evil, but he can be a Roman Catholic and go take Mass, and he's going to go to heaven. Nancy Piglosi, also her, right? She's a Roman Catholic as well, in good standing with her uh, archbishop out there in San Francisco, and she can go and take Mass. Even though she supports many things that are unbiblical, she's going to make it to heaven as well. You can go be a drunkard, you can go commit uh, fornication, you can do uh, all these sins, and then you just need to come, confess your sins to the priest, take the Mass, and it's going to absolve all your sins, and then you can get to heaven. And just keep doing it over and over and over again, because Christ will be sacrificed for you over and over and over again. This is what it promotes. Licentiousness, evil, wickedness. Everything that's contrary to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to reject it and have nothing to do with those things. Okay? So that's why they speak so forthrightly and with such strong language concerning these things. And we have to as well because it is deadly, deadly poison that poisons people and sends them to hell. And that's why we have to speak so forthrightly and with such great language against these things. Okay, so we'll pray with that, and then we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, how it does teach us, Lord, everything that we need for life and godliness, and Lord, how it is that we should participate in the Lord's Supper. Lord, you have given this symbol to us, Lord, to be a reminder of what Christ has done. That, Lord, he came to this earth, with a human body. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was a lamb without spot or blemish. And you offered him up as a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, once and for all, there's no need for him to ever suffer again because his person and his work are of such infinite value that they can take care of all of our sins. Not only all of ours, but all sins of all of your people from Adam until the end of the world. Lord, there is no other sacrifice that is needed other than Jesus Christ. His body given for us 
his blood spilt for us, and that, Lord, this is the only way that we can have the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you that you have given to us the Lord's Supper to be a reminder of these truths. Lord, over and over and over for us. Lord, to build up and to confirm our faith. And Lord, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Lord, we pray that we would observe these things in the proper way. Lord, without adding human wisdom. Lord, without any superstition. Lord, without in any way detracting from Christ but always exalting him and putting him at the forefront. Lord, may as well we never partake of these things and think that a simple participation in a ritual, Lord, is able to give us the forgiveness of sins. But Lord, may we see that there must be faith, faith in what they represent, and Lord, a faith that is manifested, Lord, through obedience to you. So, Lord, may we observe these things in the right way. And, Lord, may they be a benefit to us, to our children, to our grandchildren, Lord, for many years, until our Lord and Savior comes and we see him face to face. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.